We're in a new series called Running with the Giants. We're looking at Old Testament heroes who are teaching us to walk by faith. It's cool also that we have our own in-house stories of guys like Pastor Michael who are showing us what it means to walk by faith. This morning, we're on part two of a guy by the name of Abraham. Um, And uh, Abraham this morning is going to face quite a test of faith. Do you know that God will test your faith? Do you know that it's biblical, that God will test your faith to strengthen it and grow it? Now, if you're a student, you don't like the name, the word test, do you, right? Uh, I'll never forget the test in college that I had to spend the most time preparing to get ready for. In fact, I'll never forget going to the bookstore before that class even began with my syllabus, walking around the bookstore, and, you know, one class I'd have to get one book, and then another class I'd have to get two books, and, and I get to this class, and the guy's got 12 books listed on the syllabus. And I was like, oh, I, it was like a mountain. I, I had to walk up to the, you know, the, the cashier and put this heaping pile of books there. And then I had to pay for them all. And then I had to read them all. Uh, and this professor had a reputation. In fact, I had this professor and I had his wife in the same semester. And she told me at one point, he's crazy. Don't take his classes. <laughs> she tried to warn me, but it was too late. I was already in. And the class was... Uh, Social sciences class. That just almost puts you to sleep hearing it. Like, social science. So I did not expect much from this class at all. But this professor was actually pretty inspiring. Instead of teaching us in a textbook about social science and political theory, he had us read narrative fiction about what different uh, governments do to their people. So we had to read about communist government. We had to read about socialist government. We had to read about how all the lives of people got swept up in these systems. It was mesmerizing. And then the day came for the final test. And I had to get ready for it. For this guy, it was all essay. Not even one multiple choice, right? The only fill in the blank was your name. And then after that, you had to do essay. So you can't cheat on an essay test, right? So I had to work so hard to get ready for this test. He even gave us the test in advance to give us a shot at passing it. Okay, and he said he doesn't give out A's, so don't even expect it, right? He was one of those kind of professors. And the first question on the test was this. What is good? And then the next question on the test is, what is evil? And then it went on from there. So we had to use all this stuff that we read to define these really deep questions. And, and it hit me that this professor is doing an amazing thing. He's trying to change the way we see the world around us based on what's happened in history. It was eye-opening. And I can tell you, because he so inspired me, I never worked harder ever before or since to do well on a test than I did for that test. And, and I'm happy to report, though this didn't happen often, I got an A on that test. And I got the nastiest hand cramp I had ever gotten. I still don't think it's healed back up from that day that I had a two-hour essay test. (laughs) Well, this morning, uh, Abraham faces a test, a test of faith. The reason that he faces a test, the reason why God tests our faith, is because God wants to change the way Abraham sees the world around him. He wants to grow Abraham's faith, show Abraham who God is, so that he can pass tests in the future. This is really the first of three tests Abraham's going to face. Today, uh, the test is with fear. Crippling, debilitating fear lurks in Abraham's heart and almost brings his faith to a screeching halt. It's fear that tests him today. Next week, the test is patience. 
Abraham just has to stay put and wait. Uh, And then the week after that, the test is sacrifice. He has to put everything he holds dear and precious on the altar when God demands it. Those are three life-altering tests. And really, it comes down to one question that God asks, and it's the question that God is asking you right now. Do you trust me? Whenever a test of faith comes into your life, God is asking you this question. Do you trust me? And your actions will show if you do or you don't. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Father, you want to grow our faith and so you test it. This morning as we look into a man, into the life of a man who lived so long ago, he still has lessons that are relevant to us. Show us, Lord, how we can prepare for the tests that you will bring into our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Last week was the call of Abraham, and he passed that test. God said, go, and he got up, and he went. Uh, This week, different test. And in Genesis 12, verse 10, we hear what God brought into Abraham's life. It says in verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Hey, a famine is a trial, and you know, a bad economy here means gas prices go up, grocery prices go up, right? It's harder to find a job, less likely you get a raise. That's, that's like a, a famine here, and we're kind of in one of those, right, as a nation. But hey, a famine back then meant no food anywhere, all right? So go to Dominic's and there's nothing on the shelf. You ain't eating. So uh, drastic test, severe test of faith. And we learn something here about God, don't we? Abraham left a place where things were going pretty good, and he was standing in the very place God himself directed, and what happened? A famine broke out. Sometimes I think we assume when things that are bad happen to us, we're like, oh, what did I do now to make God mad at me? I must have done something because he's making my life miserable. What is it, Lord? Hey, that's not always the case. Right? If you're waking up to the same weather forecast as your neighbor, hey, maybe it's just the common version of trials that enter into everyone's life, yours included. All right? I, I saw a picture of a guy who it just wasn't his day recently. Okay, All he was doing was trying to park his car, and look what happened. <laughs> hey, you ever feel like that's your day? That's how it started. That's how it ended. It was just that kind of day. Don't automatically assume, oh, you must have done something awful. God must be mad at you. Oh, this mu-. No. No. Rain falls on the good and bad. But how you respond to the trial should be different because of your faith. Check out James 1.12. I'll put it on the screen. Let's read this together. Read it with me. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who... Wait, 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 wait. Who are going through trials? Who need to stand the test? Who is this directed at? Those who say it, love him. I thought I was doing so good. I was walking with the Lord and reading my Bible every day. And then this happened. One of of my wife's cousins, she's much younger than my wife, we were on our way to the Brookfield Zoo for a great zoo trip, and she loves animals. She was all psyched about this, right? And then, I mean, the biggest rain that had ever happened started coming down, ruined the whole trip. And she said... Why did God have to make it rain today when he knew we were going to the zoo? 
right? But isn't that, some, she's a child, isn't that sometimes how grown-ups think? Like, oh, why did this have to happen? As if the Lord, like, you know, changes the weather for you. Hey, here's the first point. This is what the Lord is saying to us this morning. Hey, trust me when life gets hard. Write that down. When there's a famine, when it's severe, trust me when life gets hard. Did Abraham? Well, let's read on. Chapter 12, verse 11. says, when he was about to enter Egypt, there's not a problem with him going to Egypt, by the way. Sometimes, sometimes it's wrong scripturally for the people to leave the promised land. But in Genesis 46, God says to Jacob, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I'll be with you and I'll bring you out. Okay, so no problem yet. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a woman beautiful in appearance. All right, now wives, do you know when your husband is going somewhere with something? He starts by saying, honey, you're so good looking. <laughs> and she's like, what do you want? You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? Uh, he's going somewhere with this. I, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. Verse 12, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me. But they will let you live. So, all right, he's got a plan. Wives, does your husband ever have a plan that you're kind of suspicious about? Well, he's going somewhere with this. So, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Okay, got a plan. We're going to Egypt. They're going to they're gonna see that you're good. And by the way, Sarah's 65 years old now. Abraham's 75, and he's scared because she's so good-looking that they're going to see her and be like, ooh, hey. And then they're going to look at Abraham and be like, Kh. So he says, okay, just take your ring off, okay, and don't tell anyone we're married. I got this, babe. We're going to make it through. Just do my plan. <clears throat> do you think this is a good plan or a bad plan? Bad plan. Very bad plan. What do we notice here? Abraham isn't trusting God to protect him from powerful men, even though in chapter 12 earlier, verse 3, God already promised protection. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who mess with you, I will mess with them. So don't be afraid. And what's he doing? I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And Abraham isn't trusting God to provide for him during a famine, though God promised to bless him earlier in verse 2. I will bless you. Wow. Hey, jot this down. What is faith? Faith is willing to trust God's word instead of allowing lies to drown out the voice of truth. Faith is willing to trust God's word instead of allowing lies. His fears were lying to him. They were lying to him. You're going to die. This is a lie. Well, let's read how Abraham's plan worked out. Check out verse 14. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. So like, uh, all right, the business meeting was over in the Pharaoh's council chamber. And then they're like, all right, anything else? And his princes were like, yeah. There's a new girl in town, and she is fine. You've got to have her. 
and she's not married. And so Pharaoh was like, oh, bring her in. Sweet. One more. Abraham didn't think this thing through. Like he had step one and two planned out, but it was the step three and four and five that got him, right? Isn't this the way it goes? So, so they showed up and they're like, hey, we're going to take her away. And wow. And it says in verse 15, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Uh-oh. But in verse 16, and for her sake, he, Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So like, we're going to take your wife. Then the door opens, and like all of these like housekeepers come in, and all of these servants who are making him food and cooking for him, and all these animals and livestock, and all that means like wealth. All right, it would be the equivalent of, you know, like somebody just comes over to your house and like, hey, I'm going to take your wife, okay? But here's like five cars, and here's like 15 people who are going to do everything for you. And uh, by the way, I filled your bank account with a few million dollars, and so see ya. Abraham suddenly hit the jackpot. He was like rich. Okay. It says in verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. Uh-oh, so God's not happy. Hey, this is something that we have to understand. You see, Abraham could have thought because of all of this blessing that God was okay with what he was doing. But God was not happy. God did not, though, come down and appear to him and say, Hey, where's your wife? He didn't do that. In fact, God allowed this thing to play out. God doesn't really speak in this section here. He just allows Abraham's plan to play out. But God's not happy. He says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? <laughs> wow. She's married again. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that they had. Hey, I'd love to be there with a video camera for that reunion. This, what did you do to me? Well, everyone's getting sick, and it's all your fault, and she's married. Take her. And then Abraham walked out with Sarah. You think that was an awkward conversation? Hey, baby, how you doing? Love the crown. What does it feel like to be a queen? Is it good? Okay, let's just say he was in the doghouse for at least a decade for this one. Okay, I mean in the doghouse because, wow, did this thing backfire or what? What do we observe here? Okay, we observe this. That if you don't trust God when life gets hard, if, if you allow the lies to drown out the voice of truth and you scheme and make plans that are not righteous, God is not happy. And though you think His blessing is upon you, it's not. Well, then how does God show you that He is not happy with you? We observe some of the ways here, some of the forms of divine discipline that will enter into your life. First, in rare cases, physical illness. Not every sickness, when you get a cold, don't be like, oh no, God's mad at me, I've got the sniffles. No, it's not every time, but there are rare cases where God will afflict you physically because you're sinning against Him. Generally speaking, in those cases, the punishment fits the crime. And because of the connection between your sin and the illness, it is crystal clear to you that God is punishing you. All right. Next, relational conflict. 
God allows a relationship that was pretty sweet. Hey, Pharaoh, he's hooking me up. He's giving me everything I wanted more. We're good. And then Pharaoh shows up and he's like, what did you do to me? We're all sick because of you. Uh, Hey, God may use a brother or sister in Christ to sit across the table from you and say, you're not doing the right thing. All right? And this brother in Christ punches you in the nose. And that's God trying to get your attention. If you tune out the voice of that person who's trying to warn you, you are turning your back on God. Because he will send his voice through a faithful servant to you. Especially when your sin is hurting another person. And they're trying to awaken you to the reality. Divine discipline. What else? God will give you gain with pain. The thing you couldn't live without. The thing that was drifting you from the Lord. Abraham had to have security and didn't know how he was going to make it through the famine. And he'd, hey, he'd even let go of his wife if it made that he hits it big, right? God gave him all of that gain. And then he had to leave with all of that pain. With all of the shame and the memories. And how could I do this to my wife? And I, I jeopardized an entire nation. And every time he thinks about all he had, he had to remember how he got it. And it was a burden. Wow. Hey, trust me when life gets hard so that God can spare you from His discipline. Uh, Jot this down. Faith is willing to obey God instead of taking impulsive, disobedient action to solve a problem or exit a crisis. Think about that. Faith is willing to obey God instead of taking impulsive, disobedient action to solve a problem or to exit a crisis. Trust me when life gets hard. All right, he got out of Egypt. Let's move on and see when the Lord brings this up. It's later. Turn ahead to chapter 15. Chapter 15. A lot of stuff happens before God brings up this issue, but chapter 15, verse 1. It says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. All right, those of you with an ESV, what are the first two words God says after all this? What are the first two words God says to Abram? Say it. So God doesn't show up when Abraham's plan is unfolding, right? But later, when God shows up, what's the first thing he says here in this occurrence? The first word out of his mouth is fear. The thing that led him to do all those foolish things. Fear not. You think God knows how to detect a character flaw, a deeply embedded, enduring, unsolved, festering character flaw in our hearts? Doesn't God know that? Doesn't he know through his word how to just cut right through you and to say exactly what you need to hear? When God shows up, the first thing he says is, fear not. Jot this down. Hey, don't just trust me when life is hard. Trust me to establish you. Trust me to establish you. God is now bringing Abraham back to a clear picture of who God is. The lies he's believing stem from what he believes about God. And God says here, fear not, Abram. Why? I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. First thing he says is, I am your shield. When you lose sight of who God is, you lose sight of the protection God promises. All right, have you seen the movie The Avengers? All right, I don't know who your favorite Avenger is, but I kind of like Captain America, right? Because he's got this really awesome shield that you could like fire a nuclear missile at and it would just bounce off. Ting! Right? And he could throw the thing and it's like a boomerang shield. It comes back to him. How'd you like to have one of those? Huh? How, 
How'd you like to have one of those? You'd storm the field of battle with no fear. Right? Go ahead. Uh, now, what would it feel like if you got these fears and there's things, you know, that are, and, and Captain America himself was standing between you and that which threatened you? Would you feel a little more secure if Captain America, because we all know he's real, if he showed up and he really stood between you and anybody who was trying to mess with you? I think you'd feel a little more secure, right? And, and God is drawing from that shield imagery to say, here's you, here's everything you're afraid of, Here's me. I am your shield. What are you so afraid of? And maybe with you and the things that you're afraid of, you just assume, oh, it's just me and them, and God's nowhere to be found. He's like so far away, and God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You get behind me, okay, because I'm going to take care of this. I promise. I am your shield. I promise to protect you. Hey, are you trusting God to protect you from the things that are frightening you the most? How do I know? Well, well, I'm not trusting God to protect me if I'm privately scheming against those who I can't trust. Privately scheming. I, I'm not trusting God to protect me if my mind is racing anxiously because I have to keep up with all of my fears so that they won't come true. I'm not trusting God to protect me if I'm acting paranoid and suspicious, scrutinizing the motives of the people who I fear could hurt me. I'm not trusting God to protect me if I'm keeping exhaustive records. So when the time comes when this person does hurt me, I've got the file folder ready to retaliate. Hey, I'm not trusting God to protect me. If those things are true. I am your shield. And then he says your reward will be great. This is narrowly focused on the promise for Abraham to have a child. And in addition for a nation to come from him. Um, But this could also be broadened out. Your reward will be great. God promised to bless him. God's like, hey, I took care of you in Egypt even though you were being a bonehead. Uh, I brought you out with all the plunder, right? So, I will bless you. I am good. I am able. Look at verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So God just promised him, hey, I'm your shield. Hey, your reward will be great. And Abram's like, but, but, and he finally said it. He hasn't set it up to this point in Scripture. Every time God shows up and he's like, hey, you're going to have all these kids and they're going to have all these grandkids and there's going to be so many people that come from me, it's going to be great. Abraham always turns around and he's like, I don't have one child yet. Has God not noticed that? That we, I'm 75 uh, and no kids. He finally brings it up. Uh, Lord, I don't have any children. Uh, and before God can answer, Abraham again starts with his plan. But, you know, I got this whole thing where, like, Eliezer, you know, he's going to be my heir. I got this thing set up. Is that, is that what you're going to do? Is that, did, I, did I figure you out? He finally brought his deepest apprehension out in the open to God. And what happens in verse 4? 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Hey, your plan stinks. Just stop. Just stop coming up with your own plan, okay? This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. They're outside. This is so cool. It's just Abraham and God. And they're outside, and he goes, Okay, look up. Look up. And start counting the stars. Count it. Okay. Now, the Hubble telescope was still being assembled at this time. So he didn't really have images or a count, an accurate record, that there were hundreds of billions of like galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars. But let's just say that if Abraham did start counting three, four, five, he'd still be counting. Billion, five hundred sixty-nine million, three hundred ninety-six. What's the point? Let's find out. Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. This has a twofold meaning if you look in the New Testament. First meaning is your offspring are going to be beyond measure, innumerable. There's going to be so many of them. I don't even have one kid. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going to have so many of them. It's like the stars in the sky. The blessing that God wants to pour out to you is far more immeasurable compared to what you think God's going to do. God says already in chapter 13, verse 16, Hey, Abram, if you could count the dust on the earth, you'll be able to number how many descendants I'm going to give you. In chapter 22, 17, he says, Hey, if you could count the sand on the seashore, you'll be able to count the offspring I give you. Innumerable. Unthinkable. So shall your offspring be. And then in verse 6, we find one of the most fascinating verses in the Bible up to this point. It says, And he believed the Lord, and he, that means the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Of all the things Abraham was afraid of, God was taking care of something that Abraham should have made his primary fear. Am I acceptable and righteous in the presence of a holy God? Have I found his favor so that I can spend forever with him in eternity? That's the righteous person. You can jot this down. Hey, God's saying, trust me when life gets hard. Trust me to establish you, but jot this down. Hey, trust me to make you righteous. Trust me to make you righteous. And God drove all of his fears to a crisis moment where an impossible promise is made and Abraham believes. And it's the faith of Abraham that causes God to give him righteousness as a gift. We, we have to get this truth, you see, because we find in the New Testament that God did this for our sake. When it says that, you know, Abraham believed, um, and, or I'm sorry, when God said to him, so your descendants will be, it's kind of a double meaning. First he says in number, so your descendants will be, but he was also saying in faith, with what you're about to believe, so will your offspring be. They will be a people who share your faith. Uh, check out the book of Romans. We've got a verse we're going to put up here. Romans 4, 23 to 25. It says, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
You see, what we learn in the Scripture is the nation that was to come from Abraham was to yield one special promised child who would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, He now alone has risen up to the right hand of God the Father. He now alone can give you righteousness, but it only comes through faith in Him. Do you see how Abraham just looked up and he just did this? And God gave him righteousness. The gift of eternal life. The hope of heaven forever. And it happened. What did Abraham do? He did this. His faith. And it certainly wasn't his works. Right? Like if somebody came to us and they're like, yeah, I've been through a rough patch. I accidentally gave my wife away to a foreign dignitary and got rich over it. The nation almost all got killed because God was mad, got my wife back, still rich, came here, and now I want to join your church. Would we be like, what? Let's agree. It was not Abraham's deeds that gave him the grace of God. He faltered in faith like all of us do. But it was his belief in the promise that God made about the descendants to come, the unbelievable, impossible promise that a promised child would come from a man 75 years old. It's his belief in the miracle child that made God give him righteousness. And it's your belief in the miracle. See how God's getting us ready for the New Testament? It's your belief in the miracle child of Jesus Christ who entered the world, born of a virgin, died on the cross and rose again. That's it. You doing this, believing that Jesus died, buried, rose again for you, that's it. That's what will cause God to give you the gift of righteousness. The theological term is imputed righteousness, meaning your bank account is empty. Nothing you can do will fill the bank account. God comes along and he takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he puts his righteousness in your account. It's the only way you can find favor with God. And here, all alone at night, looking up at the stars, it says in Scripture, Abraham found righteousness through faith. And here you can find righteousness through faith as well. Trust me to make you righteous. Trust me to make you righteous. Okay, verse 7. Verse 7, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. All right, hey, he's reminding him what he already did. Remember what I did? I am this, I did this. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know that I shall possess it? Don't you feel like sometimes you feel tempted to think that you can do a better job than God of ruling your life? He's so afraid. He was so confident of his plan, right? He's so afraid when God's the one calling the shots. I saw this picture. It's kind of funny. It's a guy walking past this giant chair in a shopping mall. And, you know, that's me. Sometimes in my life, that's me when I'm like, I wonder if I should just take care of this one. Like, I got this one. I don't know that I need to go to the Lord. Like, I'll just climb up into the chair, handle it for a while, and then get out of the chair. And all the while, God's like, get out of my chair! That's my chair! I'm supposed to be the one who's God in your life. And Abraham's like, I don't know if I like you in that chair. Like, is it really going to happen? I really, I don't... He's so struggling. Okay. How am I I supposed to know? Verse 9. Interesting way God gives him assurance. He said to him, 
This is going to get really interesting, so follow along here. Says to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So God asks for a petting zoo. Okay. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. All right, that's kind of gross. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. That's just kind of a little random side note. I get, get, out of, get out of here! As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain, know for certain, all right, so something's going on here where God's about to give him the ultimate boost of confidence in what God had promised. Started a little weird. Abram laid out all these animal body parts and split them in half. Okay, so there's like kind of a row down the middle. And then God like knocked Abraham out. Okay, they didn't really even have like the anesthesia back then, but God found a way to do it. Bam! And Abram is in like this vision twilight thing, okay? It says... In verse 13, know for certain what? That your offspring, now he's talking about all these descendants, there's not even one yet, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Hey, who knows their Bible? What's he talking about here? The Israelites, right? They're going to be in Egypt. Joseph's going to go down there, big famine. So they stay there. They settle there. 400 years later, right? Who's leading them out? Moses. Okay. God's showing him the future. He didn't even have these stories in his Bible yet, and he's hearing them first from God. It's pretty sweet. You ever, have you ever used like Ancestry.com or whatever, where you can look up your ancestor? Anybody use that? Anybody use that? Yeah? All right. Pretty impressive to find technology that could show you the last 400 years of your family history, but find the one that could show you the next 400 years, and I'll be really impressed. Okay, God somehow got that technology back. We're talking 2000 B.C. here. Are you impressed? Are you impressed? You don't sound impressed. Would you, Mike, would you be impressed if, if I were able to tell you next Thursday okay, at, at 1.52 p.m., you're going to be on 294 North, and there's going to be a semi-truck, um, and it's going to cut you off, so just be ready. And then what if it happened? Would you be like, <gasps> how did he know? You'd be pretty impressed, right? I mean, even if God were able to tell you, you know, uh, 10 years from now, I mean, here's, here's what's going to be. One little thing, you'd be... He's talking 400 years of history for a whole nation in advance. Wow. This is, this is I'm impressed. And, and he says, Know for certain your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted. It's going to be painful for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. In other words, while you were being a bonehead in Egypt, I was using that to almost foreshadow what I'm going to do that you're doubting. They're going to go to Egypt. It's going to be because of a famine. They're going to have a hard time. I'm going to bring them out. That's pretty impressive. So he gives him the forecast for the whole nation that Abraham's having a hard time believing is going to happen. Verse 15, as for yourself, all right, now he's going to give him his own little personal future, Right? And I mean, this is going to be a lot more reliable than a fortune cookie. Here comes the future of Abraham. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Hey, there's your future. Would it be kind of cool to know that you're going to live to be 120 years old? 
Wouldn't that be pretty sweet? That'd be pretty sweet. I'd go skydiving. Uh, I'd climb Mount Everest. I'd, you're going to go swim with the dolphins? That's fine. I'm going to swim with the sharks. Right? Great whites. Huh? I'm going to have a big hunk of meat in each hand. Come get it! God said, I'm going to live to be a nice old man. I'm going to die in peace. Come on! So this did not cure Abraham's fears, though, because in a few chapters, he's still going to do crazy stuff, okay? But wow, what promises God is revealing about the future for this nation and for this man? Verse 16, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Wow, that's a nice side note on God's goodness. Why not now? Why not now? Well, I'm being patient with sinful people before I bring awful judgment on them. Pretty good reason. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. All right. So now this is imagery for God. A flaming torch, a smoking fire pot, the smoke and the fire symbolizes God's presence in the Old Testament. And this smoking fire pot and the torch, it's, it's passing between these animal pieces, right? Straight through the trail in the middle. What, what is going on here? It says, on that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. Hey, jot this down. Trust me to keep my promises. Trust me to keep my promises. Uh, many scholars believe, and I agree with them, that this was more than just a simple legal agreement that God was entering into. A covenant means a binding promise. If you're wearing a wedding ring, it's because you made a covenant. You entered into a binding promise in the presence of God Almighty that He is going to hold you to, right? Um, and here, God enters into a binding promise. This is just the way they kind of did it back then, okay? And if you read elsewhere in the Old Testament where this comes up one time, the way the Lord saw this ceremony is the people who passed through the middle of these animal halves are essentially saying to one another, I don't keep my agreement, this is what's going to happen to me. In other words, on my life, I am making this binding promise. How will I know? I don't know. I don't, how can I believe it? It sounds all so impossible. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll share 400 years of history with you. I'll tell you how and when you're going to die. And if that ain't enough for you, I'll also make this agreement with you where on my own existence, I promise to keep, faithfully keep, what I'm declaring today. Hey, that ain't all bad, is it? Is there any more powerful way for God to have promised that Abraham would have a child, through this child would enter in a nation, through this nation would come one promised child who would, who would we learned last week, bring a blessing for all the families of the earth? What a promise God is making, and not just to Abram, but to humanity. How, how can we have hope that in Noah's day that the world filled with judgment would not happen again? Well, God promised by covenant, use the rainbow, that God wouldn't bring judgment. Okay, we like that promise. But how can we know that the world can be filled with salvation? How can we know that we have a shot at becoming righteous in God's sight? Well, God made a covenant with Abraham to bring a promised Savior into the world, through that Savior to bring a blessing to all the earth. Wow. Trust me to keep my promises. At the end of all of his fears, Abraham learns God can be trusted. 
got the whole future mapped out. He knows every detail of every day of every person in this room. He could tell you about your great, 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 great grandkids' seventh grade fling, crush. He could, he could tell you anything about any day in the future. And so, based on his omniscience, he says, trust me because I will be faithful to keep my promises. And I guess I wonder right now, what is it that you've brought with you this morning that is causing you fear? It's your apprehension. It's it's the thing you're most afraid of. What is it that God has not yet done? What is... What is it that's taking far longer than you expected? What is it that feels far more painful than you thought? What, what is it? Um, and I see there's two piles in your life. Over here there's the pile of things you've already brought into God's presence. You've trusted Him with these things. And boy, the stories that have come from this pile. But then over here there's the pile of things that you haven't quite given over to Him yet. And you're trying to figure them all out. Work it, scheme it, trying to make it work. And, and, and God is challenging you to trust him, to pick all that is in this pile up and to bring it over here and say, okay, Lord, I've been doing it my way. I've been getting all worked up about this. I've been letting the lies creep in. Here, I trust you. I trust you. I think the biggest thing that hit me personally in my time of study this week is just how much power I have given some of my fears throughout my years as a Christian. So much power I've given to them. Such a loud voice. Such a great seat at the table of my heart. Fear. It led me to jot this down. I was just thinking about it. It led me to jot this down. Fear is a devious fortune teller always darkening the forecast of faith. Fear tries to trick you, to lie to you, to get you off of what God has promised. And fear can be so powerful and loud. And I'm challenging you as we close out this sermon to bring all of your fears into the presence of the Lord. And the greatest one is this. The greatest fear is the fear that you will not go to heaven. The fear that you will spend forever in judgment because a holy God does not receive you. If you don't bring that fear into the presence of the Lord, and by faith trust Jesus as your Savior, you have no confidence that God will make you righteous or receive you into heaven. See, but He doesn't want you to live with that fear. He wants you to live by faith, knowing that you will spend forever with Him in eternity. Let's pray right now for a moment, and let's commit our fears up to the Lord that we may pass the test of our faith. Father in heaven, we turn toward You thanking you for proving yourself faithful even when we lose sight of who you are and what you've said. And here and now, I think of those who, Lord, have never trusted you as Savior and Lord. I want to give them an opportunity to respond to what they heard, just as Abraham did, simply believing the impossible promise that Jesus lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of God Most High, and now can give us forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray that some in their own hearts would say this with me. Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I'm afraid I won't spend eternity with you. And here and now, I ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord.
to redeem me, to give me hope. Father, I think of those who already have that hope, but all their faith is just so troubled. May they bring whatever it is that's causing them to go back and forth with you. May they bring it into your presence and let it go and allow you to be on the throne to direct their lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen.